everybody. So good to see all of you and all of those uh, of you who are gathered online. Big shout out to Vero Beach, Florida, because that's where Pastor Dan is with his family. Hopefully he's watching. I uh, hope you're having a good time, bud. Um, enjoying some sunshine, because we're having it here. So, you know, hopefully it's not raining where you are. <laughs> anyway, if this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. My name is David. I serve on the pastoral staff, and we believe that God is not affected by distance by any stretch of the imagination. And so uh, we are all gathered in his name here. We trust that you are in your home too. So that means he's here, he's there, he's everywhere. And we get to enjoy that. And we get to be together in Jesus. We are looking at the moment through some specific stories in the Bible. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to avoid this idea of vignettes. Um, sometimes when we read the text, as I um, said the last couple of weeks, we tend to read these short little stories, and we, we think of them kind of in isolation, but the fact of the matter is the author is trying to string them together to teach us something. And sometimes you have to uh, um, zoom out in order to see the themes, in order to see what... what um, the uh, author is trying to, trying to teach us, and currently we're in the book of Mark, specifically Mark chapter 3 be and Mark chapter 6 and everything in between. So we've got in Mark chapter 3, Jesus calling his disciples that he might send them. He wants to spend some time with them, and then in Mark chapter 6, he began to send them. So we've got this big block of teaching and everything that's happening in between has a purpose. Does this make sense? And sometimes, and, and as you'll see this, but sometimes as we're reading through those individual stories, we'll see them just in isolation. Now there's nothing wrong with that. You can still learn things from it, but my, my fear is that we lose the bigger picture. Uh, we lose the forest because we're concentrated on the trees and you kind of have to do both, if that, if that makes some sense. So in between Mark chapter 3 and Mark chapter 6, uh, Jesus is training these men, these disciples, these, well, frankly, boys, because um, there's a, some pretty strong evidence to suggest that the vast majority of them were under the age of 20. So uh, Jesus was very much a, a middle school youth pastor. Just kidding. God bless him. God bless him for it, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so the, the question is, what, what did he want them to know before he sent them out? What, what was it that he was trying to uh, instill in them? What was he trying to invest in them so that they could take that out and begin to do the things that Jesus asked them to do? And, and I jokingly, but, but actually it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, it, it really is the first seminary. I mean, Jesus is really trying to teach these guys how to go and do ministry. And what's more important, I think, for us is not just what Jesus was trying to teach those uh, men and those boys, but what is Mark, the author of this gospel, this, this biography of Jesus, what is he trying to tell us? What is it that we can learn from this? Uh, and, and more importantly, what can we take and integrate into our own lives? Because we claim to be disciples of Jesus, right? So let's look at the first disciples, figure out what it was that Jesus was trying to put in them, and see if we can integrate it to ourselves. Does this make sense where we're going? Yes? Okay, good. Outstanding. Uh, so um, last week we encountered 
um, in Mark chapter 3, a delightful little literary device that I described called an inclusio, which is a story wrapped in a story. Um, and Jesus concludes that little um, section by saying, he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And he's looking around and he's, he's attempting. There's a whole story that leads up to this, but he really states this, um, uh, this observation, this truth, and I think there's something that's in here because I think it shows us the heart of God. We're not meant to, to go it alone. We're doing God's will. <laughs> when we're doing God's will, it is deeply personal and it is deeply relational. Sometimes I think we forget that. We think we're just doing it in a vacuum, but we're not. Uh, we're doing it in a context, and, and Jesus puts it in, in the sense of, of family. Now, if God puts something on your heart, the best first question you can ask is, who might do this with me? That's a great question. Uh, I think it's, it's vital that we as Christians ask that. So if you've got um, some type of ministry idea uh, in your mind, <clears throat> It's fine that if you want to, you know, talk to the church or talk to a pastor or something about that. But I think the better question is, God, who do you have in mind? Who can join me in this thing that I believe that you are doing? Or who's already doing it that I can join them? Right? It's a relational thing. It's a personal thing. God put something on your heart with that. But also, I think there's something else that's going on here that God gives us an identity through this. Um, by being his brothers and his sisters, right? If we're doing the will of God, we have this kind of um, <laughs> family identity to all of it. Now, um, that could be for good or for bad for some of you, depending on how you grew up, okay? I, I get that. But this is an important piece of it. Um, families give us an identity. I am a trelore. I have a history. I have a father. I have a grandfather. I have a long lineage that happens, and so do you. We all have this. Family gives us uh, our first sense of identity. It's not our only point of identity, but it is part of it. And here Jesus is doing the same thing. Um, and, and it's not necessarily tied to a name per se, a surname, a last name, but it's rather it's tied to the name of Jesus because Jesus is doing God's will. And from the statement is, whoever does God's will are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. Are you seeing how this all fits together? So there's an identity factor here. So the first piece of the seminary training is, who are you? I'm God's brother. I'm God's sister. You see that? There's an identity here. And Mark is trying to explain that uh, to us. Today, uh, we're going to move ahead and we're going to look at a set of four parables. Um, but as, as we'll see, um, all of it is, is part of this training. Now, if you have a journal or some type of notebook, you might not want to take this down because I've, I've created some pictures for you. You know how much I love pictures, right? I, I'm really good at stick people, and I'm really good at uh, boxes and circles and triangles and squares. Oh, my. Yes, so I have uh, a little visual, some visuals that I want to... Um, to do with you. So Mark chapter 4 is we're going to be, uh, if you've got a Bible or Bible app, you might want to pull it out and punch that in because we're going to go through this. Those of you who are Bible scholars, you are totally going to dig this, okay? Those of you who like to 
to uh, deeply dig into the word. Here we go. This is how we're going to do this. Okay, so at the beginning of chapter 4, um, one of the comments that Mark writes is that he taught them, meaning Jesus taught them many things by parables. Okay? And at the very end of this chapter, we, we see this with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them. And so very often when we have a repeated word like this, they become bookends to what the author is trying to group together for our benefit. So please understand, in chapter 4, we have these two bookends, this idea of parables. And then we have a series of four parables here in Mark chapter 4. And I, I just kind of want you to see how these, what these look like. There's one in um, verses 3 through 9, another one through 21 through 23, 26 through 29, and then 30 through 32. And we're going to take each one of these uh, and we're going to take a look at them. We're going to treat them as individual stories, and then we're going to tie them together so that you understand where I'm going, okay? All right, so we've got these four parables that are bookends, uh, bookended, bookended, is that a word? It is now. Okay, by this word parables, okay? So Jesus is teaching in these parables, these, these little stories, and here are four of them that Mark is, is outlining for us. So, um, it begins with a parable that you've probably heard uh, before. At least I remember this, and, and I'll be honest, and you know I joke about this sometimes, but the truth of the matter is I actually remember this parable done in a flannel graph. Not animated on some video. We didn't have that when I was learning things in Sunday school, right? <clears throat> so, here we go. Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. Listen, he says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. So there was soil, and it was, but it was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. How many of you have heard this one before? Yeah? This is a fairly um, familiar uh, parable. And, and so Jesus is telling this story, and if you follow along in here, they, they come up to Jesus. Um, oh, oh, sorry. Uh, he also says, uh, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, he finishes this. This becomes important in just a minute, so let me not, uh, let's not forget that. But then his disciples come up, and <laughs> I just, I, again, I keep thinking about middle school boys, okay? Like, what, what does that mean? Right? That's what they're asking Jesus. Um, I think I probably would, too. Like, okay, what, what does this actually mean? Because I don't, you know, they didn't have the benefit of, you know, 200 years of Sunday school <laughs> to, to teach them what all of this meant. So the disciples ask Jesus to explain it to them. And so Jesus does, um, very thankfully, that he does in order for us to kind of get a sense of where these other parables are going as well. So let me just do a quick summary. He says very plainly uh, that the farmer sows the word. 
He sows the word, the word of God. And in some cases, uh, like, like the, the ones that fall on the path and the, the birds come and eat it, Satan will steal the word away. Now, he doesn't give any explanation as to what that means. He just makes the observation that some people will hear the word, but the enemy, in his wicked, vile wretchedness, will find ways to steal it from people. And you probably know some folks who are like that, who have experienced that. Then uh, you have some that um, they receive this word with joy, but it doesn't take root in their lives. And so it withers away. You've probably known some people who are like that too. Um, very often, these are the people who, um, and, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, and I don't mean this in a condemning way, but these are often the people who are like, yeah, I probably really need to get back to church. You know, I understand that. Um, but it's a good chance that they receive something with joy and it withers away because there's no root. Um, the third one here is it's um, sown in, among thorns that uh, ultimately um, chokes it out. It's, it's worry and care. You know, those problems that we, that we have day to day that choke out the word of God. And I think, I think what happens here is that Jesus actually gives us a progression of danger. You know, because, um, yeah, Satan can steal that, um, but it's more likely that it won't take root, and it's even more likely that most of us will experience a certain amount of care and a certain amount of worry. Would you agree with that in modern society? Yeah. So there's these varying degrees of what I would say danger once we hear um, the word. But finally, you get good soil, which produces abundance, 30, 60, 100-fold. I mean, that's, that's an exciting thing. You know, when you actually see those things take root, and uh, there's root and fruit in this particular case. But I want you to notice something. I think this is fascinating, um, that only one out of four actually produces fruit. Only 25% of the seeds that are sown actually produce fruit. It's relatively low odds, right? I mean, come on. If you're sowing seed and you're just kind of scattering it out, 25% is actually going to take root and, and it's, it's going to grow. And, but you know what? It's still worth it to sow the seed, even though you're going to have 25% return. By the way, that's better odds than you get at Vegas. Think about that for a minute. Yeah, it's still worth it. And then he goes on to this other parable. So we have this one about the seeds, and we have the explanation. Thank you, Jesus, for explaining that to us. But then he goes on, and he gives us another parable. Here it is. Jesus said to them, Do you bring a lamp, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? <laughs> Instead, don't you put it on its stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. There's that phrase again, right? So we have two parables now with this idea of ears to hear. But why would we talk about a lamp at this point? It's puzzling. 
what's, what's happening with this, um, this particular parable, this little teaching? Well, <clears throat> this idea of a lamp, and if you think about it, if you take a lamp and you put it under a kind of a bowl, eventually uh, it will, there'll be no oxygen and you'll snuff it out, right? If you put it under the bed, okay, lamps back then were oil and fire. What do you think happens if you put fire underneath your bed? And we're not, you know, <laughs> there's only one place for that to go. It's going to go straight up in flame, right? I mean, so the point is, is that here we have this illustration, and, and he gives this very, I don't know, simple kind of discussion about it. But he says, don't you put it on a stand? Yeah, so you can illuminate everything. Where have we heard about lamps before? Is there somewhere in the, in the scripture that you've heard something about a lamp? Yeah, 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 there is one, there is one. Uh, it's, in, it's in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light um, for my path. Your word. Wait a second. Wasn't the word the thing the farmer was sowing? You see that there's something going on here. The lamp is valuable. And so we light it and we put it to help illuminate the room. Which, by the way, you cannot see the light. The light helps you to see. Think about that over a cup of coffee someday. But we have this this beautiful picture of a lamp and on a stand and it's illuminating everything. You don't hide it so that it snuffs out and you don't put it under a bed so that your, your bed burns. You don't do any of any of that, rather you put it on a stand so people, because it's valuable. It, it's beneficial to the people in the household. The word is valuable and we're going to see why in just a moment. So we put it on the stand to illuminate a room and we also sow it liberally and generously and we don't care where it falls because the word illuminates and the word will take root and the word will grow and the word will eventually produce fruit. Are you seeing how these things belong together? So we have these, these two, um, we have these two parables related to the word of God, the value of the word of God, and they're both marked by this phrase, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. They belong together. They're a unit, as it were. This is very common in the Gospels for the writer to use phrases uh, in order to connect them for his reader. Now, we move on. Mark uh, chapter 3, beginning with verse 26 He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seeds on the ground. Hey, wait a minute. Didn't we just hear something about that? Yeah. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. This is what the kingdom of the God is like. So we've got this um, new parable. 
about the kingdom. Like a seed that we, we just read earlier, it grows. This, the farmer doesn't know how. Well, nowadays we have things like horticultural and science and that sort of thing, and so we have an idea of you know, cellular division and that, eh, whatever. The point is, is that if I put some seeds in the ground, it grows, and I get a harvest. That's the point. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. And then he goes on. <clears throat> Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Oh, wait, that's a repeated phrase, right? Kingdom of God? <gasps> Ooh, there's a clue, kids. It's important. It's like a mustard seed, <clears throat> which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, like a big shrub with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So this little tiny mustard seed grows into something, because we just talked about how seeds grow, but it's kind of like this. It's, it's not just the fact that it grows and produces a harvest, but it also produces something large, something that provides shelter. He's trying to describe to us what the kingdom of God is actually like. It's big and it's useful. Now here's the interesting point. There is some evidence to suggest that first century ancient Near East, Canaan, Palestine, Israel era, uh, area, that the mustard bush didn't produce Plockman's mustard like we have on our hot dogs today. That it was actually considered a weed. Maybe, maybe not. I've seen evidence both. But I really love the idea of the kingdom of God as like a weed. It reminds me one time when we were living in Savannah, um, we were at, I think it was a Target store where we lived. It was nearby. And now, I understand, because I've lived here a while, that Oklahoma gets hot. Would you agree? We get some hot days in the summertime. There's a difference between 100 degrees in Oklahoma and 100 degrees in Savannah, Georgia. Why? Because of a word we call humidity. It's awful. It's punishing. It's like a hammer. It hurts. And there we were in this Target parking lot in the middle of summer, and there's nothing but asphalt. And it's baking down on the asphalt, and it's blacktop asphalt. It's not like the light-colored asphalt. It's the dark-colored stuff. And so it's absorbing all that heat. And it's, it's just ridiculously oppressive. And there in a crack, in the middle of the entire parking lot, is a single dandelion. How does that happen? The kingdom of God is like a weed place where you don't expect it that's exactly where it shows up and it blooms and it does its thing like only the kingdom can do like only that weed i wish i would have taken a picture of that because i will never forget looking around there's nothing for yards and yards and yards of other asphalt and there's the single dandelion never forget it it was amazing i like that the kingdom of god is like a weed and you know what here's the thing it also shows us a little bit of God's heart. Um, his kingdom benefits everyone. It's not that it just produces fruit for the farmer, but it also provides shade for the birds, right? 
So there's a usefulness above and beyond just the simple production. I think that's a, a beautiful picture. So now, what we have here is we have two doublets. We have the, the two parables that are related to the word of God, and they're marked by ears to hear. Then we have two parables about the kingdom of God. The kingdom is like. And so we have these, these two things that are in, in operation with one another, and they are connected somehow. And I want to suggest to you that there is a pivot point, because those of you who are astute, you have realized that I have skipped over a couple of verses. That was intentional. I didn't just forget. Promise. <laughs> There's a pivot here in Mark chapter 3, beginning with verse 24 and 25. Jesus says this, Consider carefully what you hear. Remember, if you have ears to hear, pay attention to this. But consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now, this is very strange. But in the previous story, the teachers of the law, those very individuals who have spent their lives studying the word, were missing God's kingdom. So what you look for in the word, you will eventually find. And if you are looking for the kingdom, let me tell you, you will not be able to ever not see the kingdom. And so he says very clearly, pay close attention to what you're listening to. What you are measuring will be measured back to you. If you are not looking for the kingdom, it's very likely you're going to find, well, what did the teachers of the law find? They accused Jesus of being in league with the evil one. <laughs> Ow! Talk about missing the mark. What you look for in the text, you will find. If you are looking for the kingdom, you will find the kingdom. And we know that this, the seed, the word, will produce something. And the kingdom of God produces. It produces fruit. It produces shelter. Are you seeing how these things are now connected? Sometimes I, uh, sometimes I wonder about what we, what we pay attention to. And so I, I would just encourage everybody, be careful what you listen to. Um, like the Facebook echo chamber. Be careful. What is it that you're reading day in and day out? You might, <laughs> you know, we just got done fasting for Lent. You might want to fast from Facebook. Just, just possibility. You don't have to wait for Lent next year to do it. You can do that today. Probably a good idea. But if you're listening for the kingdom of God, you'll hear it. And you're going to see it grow, and likely it will surprise you. In some ways, it will surprise you. And it's really cool when it does. There have been several times just in this last year where I have seen the kingdom begin to take root and to sprout, and it has surprised me. was not expecting from this group or from that group or from that person even. I love it. I love when that happens. I just find it really interesting <clears throat> that right after encounter, encountering the, the religious types, <laughs> they, 
they, they think they're looking for the kingdom in the text, but they're not. And that when it's right there in front of them, when it's right there in front of them, they miss it. I just find that fascinating. I don't want to be that kind of religious type. I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to be, I, I just, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss whatever God has for us. Now, when I first discovered this, this pattern or this form, um, about 15 years ago, this idea of two doublets and this thing in the middle. Uh, for those of you who are Bible scholars, it's a literary device probably called a chiasm. Um, so there is a term for this. <clears throat> but I encountered this, this form, this pattern, like I said, about 15 years ago. And so I've been thinking about this for a long time. And I think there are two features here. The these parables, this collection of parables are arranged in a, in a specific way. This, this chiasm form is, is another way that the author is waving a flag to, to grab our attention. So, so the feature of this is that the format actually draws our attention to it. Secondly, the second feature of this is it is the position that we find this set of parables within the larger Mark chapter 3 to Mark chapter 6. Because remember, I'm, I'm operating under the assumption that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something and that Mark is trying to teach us something through that. Are you with me? So there's a, not only the structure of it, but also the position of it. Jesus calls his disciples with purpose so that they might be with him so that he could send them out and give them authority over evil spirits. Send them out to preach. Give them authority. So he calls them with purpose. Then he gives them an identity that if you're doing the will of God, you are my brothers and my sisters. And then we have this, the word sown and the kingdom growing. And I think, I believe, this is the fundamental task of all people who claim to be disciples of Jesus. It's to sow the word. Sow the word. Now, what does that actually mean? Does that mean that we're going to just stand and kind of quote scripture at people? How many of you know folks like that? Man, it's just like they're just firing it off left and right. Now, sometimes it's cool, and other times it's just plain annoying. But is that what we're talking about when we talk about sowing the word, that we're just, we're just quoting scripture left and right? That's, that's it? That's all we're doing? I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind. Maybe, maybe, because I think from time to time, you'll be reminded of a particular scripture passage that really does help someone. But I think it really depends on your intent. What are you hoping to accomplish? Are you trying to beat somebody over the head with the word? Yeah, let me know how that works out for you. Well, I would challenge you, how does that actually produce fruit? Not sure that it does. I don't believe it's condemning. When we talk about sowing the word, I don't think it's condemning. That doesn't seem to be the method that Jesus employed. And your job is not to um, convict other people of their sin. That's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You don't get to do that. We don't get to do that. You 
work on you. You take yourself to the Holy Spirit and say, oh God, what's going on inside of me? That's your job. You're not responsible for anyone else. You're responsible for you and your kids up to a certain age. Okay? So I don't believe that sowing the word is condemning or convicting. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus was soft on sin. I mean, there was a point where he looked at someone and said, go and sin no more. But that wasn't condemning. That was just plain good advice. Right? But your job is not to convict other people of their sin. The Holy Spirit does that. Sowing the word does begin with the Bible. I do think that that's true. But I think it also means that we have to listen. We listen to what the Bible is actually saying to us, and we listen to the voice of God speaking to us. Wait a minute. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, is this where you start talking about the presence of God again? Yup. We're going to talk about the presence of God again. Because I don't know how you can hear the voice of God either through the text or in your prayer life if you're not trying to spend a certain amount of time and energy with him. I don't know how you do that. I know it doesn't work for me, and I get paid to do this. The point is, is that the presence of God is that place where he begins to speak to us, and we have to chase after that. We actually have to try to carve out some time so that we can listen to him, whether it's through the word or whether he's speaking to us in our thoughts. So it starts with the Bible, but it also involves us actively listening to the things that we think God is saying. So when we sow the word, really God's word is the beginning of God's kingdom. That's just the beginning piece of this. What we want to see, I'm with you on this. I want to see the full functioning of the kingdom right here, right now. How about you? Oh God, we need this right now, don't we? I mean, if you're on Facebook for more than five minutes, you know we need the kingdom of God. If you're watching the news feeds and the cycles that are going on day after day, oh man, we could use the, the kingdom of God right here, right now. And we want to see this fully functioning kingdom of God right before our eyes where everybody's humming along, doing the thing that God has called them to do, and, and we want to see it in front of us. We want the mustard bush. The problem is Jesus gives us seeds. You can't have the bush if you don't plant the seed. That's a good one. You should write that one down. That's a really good one. See, this is the thing. That we, we, want, we want the plant, but God gives us seeds. We want the oak tree, but God gives us the acorn. We want the mustard bush, but God gives us that little tiny seed that you can't hang on to and it's going to slip out and probably fall in the crack and end up being planted and grow somewhere where you don't want it to grow. But the point is, God does seeds. Now there are times where God will tell you something prophetically, something that he is going to do. And in that um, set of circumstances, your responsibility is to wait patiently. And no, it's not fun. But God said he was going to do it. The rest of it, God gives us seeds. And we have to plant. And somebody else will water it. But it's God who makes it grow, right? Paul taught us that. 
God gives us seeds, so start sowing, speak, and act in a way that's responsible for, for the gospel, for the good news. It, when, when, when did the gospel stop being good news to people? I don't, I don't understand that. And I think what happens is, for, for the most of us, is that a lot of the times we don't see it as good news anymore. I'm not sure why that is. But if you're feeling that way where you're wondering and you're asking that question going, you know, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus and this is supposedly good news, but I'm not feeling it, that might be a great place to start when you get into the presence of God. Hey God, is this still good news? How do I see the good news? Show me what that is. So start sowing, speak and act and listen and then look for his kingdom. Because God's heart is his kingdom. Always. A friend of mine, some of you heard me talk about this before, a friend of mine once told me that she was um, praying to know God's will. It was a set of circumstances that was really uncomfortable uh, for her and her family, and I, I, I understood. And I, I said, hey, I said, I don't want to be presumptuous here and I don't want to appear as a know-it-all, but do you want to know what God's will is? And she goes, yeah, I want to know what God's will is. I said, let me tell you. And, and you can write this down too because this is true. God's will is always God's kingdom. Always. Always. There is never a moment where his will doesn't involve his kingdom. And so the question is, I want to know what God's will is? No, 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 no. The question is, God, how do I be part of your kingdom here? And is it hard? Yes, it's hard. If it were easy, everybody would do it. But it's, it's not. It's a challenging thing to do. Why? Because God doesn't give us the bush or the tree. He gives us seeds. And so there's work. And there's patience and all of that that are involved. But the will of God is always his kingdom. And if you're looking for it, you will find it. Let's pray. Jesus, <laughs> thanks for parables about seeds, things that uh, we can understand. Thank you for calling us, for giving us an identity for showing us your heart for the kingdom. And God, thank you for giving us seeds because we actually have something to plant, something to sow. And I pray that the people who are listening, those who are online, those who are here, would, would understand the seed that they have. Once planted, is <laughs> going to produce something. And I pray, Lord, that we would begin to see some of that fruit maybe seeds that we planted long, long ago. But I pray that we would see it. And God, I pray that um, as we're sowing generously, as we are sowing uh, liberally, that in short order we would begin to see some fruit because sometimes we need that encouragement and that motivation, especially in, in days like now. So as we sing, Lord, would you speak? Would you begin to whisper in our ears 
things that you want us to know, the things about your kingdom, the things about your love, the usefulness, the benefit of it all, the beauty of it, the strangeness, the wildness of it, because your kingdom is like a weed. And Lord, I pray to you that we would see the seeds that we each have. Because I imagine that as people are seated here, they are thinking, I don't have any seeds. Oh, but you do. God, would you show us the seeds that we each have, the ones that we can sow. Help us to sow the word. Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe it's just being present with somebody who needs it. Maybe it's wise counsel at the right time, or maybe it's a single word that changes their day, or for, <laughs> or maybe it's just a smile that somebody needs. We all have something that we can sow. God, help us to see the value of that and to sow it so liberally and so generously that we can't help but notice the kingdom sprouting up around us. Thank you, Lord, that we are here today and that uh, we get to spend time with you. God, you are in this place. I pray that you enjoy the rest of what you hear among us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged to sow as we go out. In Jesus' name, amen.